Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, good morning. I'm Michael Flake. I am. Uh, I'm going to preach to that side of the congregation today. I'm Michael Flake. I'm one of the pastors at Lake Forest Davidson. Clearly, I'm not at Lake Forest Davidson today. I'm here at beautiful Lake Forest Huntersville. Holly Worsley is uh, preaching at uh, Davidson. If you have no plans at 11, you may want to scoot up there and hear her. Uh, but it's great to be here. Every time I come, I feel obligated to give a little bit of like an update or whatever, because y'all helped start us eight, almost eight years ago. And uh, so three little uh, agenda items on my little update today. The first is a personal one. Uh, five weeks ago, my wife Mandy and I welcomed our second child, another little girl, into the world, Cora May. <laughs> So we have Indiana, and we call her Indy, she's two, and then we have Cora May, she's five weeks old. We call her Cora. So if you're doing the math in your head then, that means I have a five-week-old. <laughs> Adjust your expectations appropriately. <laughs> uh, the second thing for you to know, uh, update-wise, is uh, our, the musicians at Lake Forest Davidson we saved up all our money, we put it in a little bank, um, and they have released another album of music they've made. Uh, we have a lot of college interns who come in and they want to like make stuff, and so, um, so anyway, it's a little album we call The Gift, and so if you would, it's a little different than the great music you guys have at Huntersville, but it's kind of in the same genre. Uh, but if you would enjoy this, I brought 18 whole copies of it. Because uh, that's all I could fit my little plastic bag, I found. But I put them out at the info table. And so uh, the info center out here. So if you would like a copy, that would be great. Or you could, like, if you're more hip than I am, you could find it on, like, Spotify or whatever other things they have now. But five, five week old at home. So I also, the, the, all we ask for the CD is $10. And we're giving the money all to a ministry called Young Lives, which helps teen moms in Charlotte. So kind of like right out the door. Okay, the third update is this, and then we'll do the sermon. The, the third update is um, Lake Forest Davidson is under contract for a little piece of property in Davidson, which is not trivial. Uh, it is, we've always wanted to stay within walking distance of the college. Don't know if you've ever priced out land in Davidson that's within walking distance of the college. It goes for, are you sitting down? About a million dollars an acre. So we are under contract. Uh, the nice thing about Davidson though is it's more urban in its development so you don't need a ton of acreage because they won't let you build all the parking you need, you gotta do shared parking. So we are under contract for a little four acre piece of property on South Main Street in Davidson, like on 115, for less than a million dollars an acre. <laughs> So we're very pleased about that. 
So uh, there's one little issue, and that is that it has to be rezoned. Yeah, there's that little thing. Um, there's an uh, ordinance in Davidson, houses of worship can't be within a certain distance of other houses of worship. And so we got to get the property rezoned for that reason. So that could take a little while. Uh, I tell this to you because in a few weeks, the, the ministry partners at Lake Forest Davidson are going to vote yes or no on purchase of property. You may know that in our uh, polity and our way of governing the church, it's not the pastors who get to vote on buying uh, land, it's the, the ministry partners of the church who get to vote on that. And so uh, the Lake Forest Davidson ministry partners will vote on that, and then if they go in the affirmative, the next week we will ask the ministry partners of Huntersville and Westlake to kind of affirm or ratify that, if that makes sense. So you'll see something about that coming up in a couple, about a month. Just want to have your, your like, know that that's a possibility, and you heard it from me. And we think it's a really good thing, and there's energy in the congregation around it. But we'll, I think the vote will go well, but again, it's not, it's not my call. So exciting times, exciting times. And here's the best part for you. Lake Forest Davidson has to pay for it. You don't have to pay for anything. You just have to put a little check mark on a sheet of paper. Uh, we got to write numbers on a sheet of paper. So, we'll, you know, we'll go from there. But exciting times, exciting times. But why don't we do the sermon now that I've done my little obligatory updates? I know we've all had this experience, but I will never forget, at least for me, the first time I was welcomed to a new neighborhood by a drug dealer. I was a college student. I was trying to explore what my relationship with God meant for my life. I had my doubts, but I still had my faith. And so I decided to spend the summer living in the poorest part of my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee. And I worked with a ministry to the youth of that community. Now, because of the historic segregation patterns in Memphis, Tennessee, the community was all black. It was about half African-American and about half African refugees. And growing up, you would I would hear comments in my part of the town that were things like, yeah, the sentiment was pretty clear, don't go there after dark. Really, don't go there in the light. Really, don't go there. That was the big idea. And the ministry leader that I was going to serve with, he told me, Mike, everything's going to be fine so long as you stay on the main roads. But when you turn onto the side streets, people are going to think you're there to buy drugs. Because the only reason we see white people in this neighborhood on the side streets is they're here to buy drugs. So once you get off the main roads, once you cross that boundary, everything's going to change. So I turn off the main road. <laughs> and I drive up to the house where I'm going to live for the summer. I look in my rearview mirror and I see a man approaching my car. And I assume, and I'm told rightly, uh, in retro, when I told the story to someone else, this, I was correct in this, I assume this is a small business owner hoping to have less, um, you know, assets tied up in inventory. <laughs> so as I get out of the car, he looks at me and says, oh, sorry, I thought you were somebody else. And I say, yeah, I'm going to live here with Damon this summer. I'm Michael, show him the, you know, point to the house. And he says, oh, cool, welcome to the neighborhood. Who needs the welcome wagon when you have drug dealers? <laughs> welcome wagon also started in Memphis, by the way. There you go. There's your Memphis history lesson for the day. 
The ministry leader was right. Wild things happen to us when we cross the boundary, when we cross the dividing line. And in our world, it is full of boundaries, right? But actual physical boundaries. We talk about people coming from the other side of the tracks. In Congress, the political parties are divided by an aisle, a physical boundary. In school and college cafeterias throughout the world, there are unspoken dividing lines about who can and cannot sit where. We choose houses based on school district lines. We choose houses based on county lines. We have national lines. We have languages to reinforce the lines. Human beings have created all kinds of lines, and we don't dare cross them. In fact, we can get a little preoccupied with our side of the dividing line. So what does it mean to follow Jesus in a world full of human-drawn lines? And what will happen when Jesus calls us to cross over boundaries, to break boundaries, to bridge boundaries? Is that when everything's going to change? Today, we continue a series of sermons called Follow Me. This is Jesus' invitation, and he invites all of us to do it. Follow me, Jesus says. Leave behind the life that you know and live your life with me at the center. Follow me is an invitation to a relationship and to a different way of life. Both are important. Follow me is an invitation to a relationship with Jesus, because if you follow him, you're going to be with him. But it's also an invitation to a different way of life because when you are with him, it will begin to change you. The most meaningful relationships in our lives change us. So how much more when we have a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ? So today I want to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. I want to look at this passage to get a sense of something that Jesus did that his followers can do also. Follow me, Jesus says, so that if you follow Jesus, or if you ever come to follow Jesus, maybe today you're more cautious or curious about Jesus, but if you ever come to follow Jesus, I want to look together at where he is calling us so that we might live like Jesus on the Missio Dei, on the mission of God. We're going to start with one of the most controversial verses in the whole Bible. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says this. That day when evening came, he, Jesus, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Whoa. Can you feel the controversy in that verse? Okay, maybe not. Let me explain why that is one of the most controversial verses in the Bible. Much of Jesus' ministry happened around a part of the Middle East that was called the Sea of Galilee. But it's not actually a sea, it's a lake. It'd be like if we called it the Sea of Norman. It's a lake. The Jewish people, the people who worshipped God, the people who lived according to the Old Testament, lived on one side of the lake. Jesus and his first disciples were all Jewish. In fact, many of those disciples had been raised around this lake, this Sea of Galilee, and of course on the Jewish side of the lake. On the other side of the lake are the Gentiles. That means the people who are not Jewish. They do not worship God. They do not live according to the Old Testament. Good Jewish boys and girls knew there was no reason to go onto the Gentile side of the lake. Certainly not after dark. 
but really never. And so here's Jesus staring out at the Sea of Galilee, this physical barrier between two groups of people, and he says to his first followers, let's go to the other side of the lake, the Gentile side of the lake. And what are the disciples thinking in their heads? This is a horrible idea. They had just signed up to follow Jesus on the Jewish side of the lake. They didn't get into this to be boundary breakers. They didn't get into this to be boundary bridgers. There's plenty of work to be done on their side of the lake. There's plenty of needs on their side of the lake. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, Jesus, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And so it's like this image of Jesus and his disciples being in a crowd. They're surrounded by all these other boats out on the Sea of Galilee, this giant lake. But then they start to sail to the other side of the lake, and things get quieter. Things get lonelier. Things get more solitary on a vast sea. Verse 37, a furious squall came up. That's a phrase you only would hear in the Bible. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus is at the end of a long day of ministry. He is asleep in the stern of the boat, which I believe is the back of the boat. I see people nodding. I'm no Gilligan, but I think it's the back of the boat. They are sailing to the Gentile side of the lake, and this huge storm, what the Bible calls a furious squall, begins. If you're like getting your middle school band together, I recommend that as your name. <laughs> furious squall. The disciples and Jesus are in a dangerous situation because of the amount of water getting into the boat. And at this point, they go and wake up Jesus, and they are angry. They don't say, Jesus, we need you to help us. They say, Jesus, don't you care if we drowned? They're angry. Why are they so angry? What's the subtext to all this? They think they're going to drown because of Jesus' little pet project about going to the other side of the lake. The disciples didn't bring up this idea. They probably thought it was a horrible idea. And here they're about to drown because of Jesus' crazy idea and his big bleeding heart. Now I want to add a little theological layer on top of this. Because the disciples were people who knew or at least had heard a lot of the stories of the Old Testament. There is a very famous storm in the Old Testament that sounds almost identical to what Jesus and the disciples are experiencing. It is found in the book of... Jonah, very good. Sit in the front row, you know the answers. <laughs> it is found in the book of Jonah. If you've been part of our family of churches for about a year and a half, we study the book of Jonah together. In Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is doing something God doesn't want him to do. In Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is sailing to a place where God has told him he has no business sailing. And so God sends a violent storm to prevent Jonah from getting there. So now, if you're the disciples, not only do you not want to go to the other side of the lake, when the storm comes up, you might actually think, God doesn't want you to go to the other side of the lake. 
you might start to think God is giving you the Jonah treatment. You're not supposed to go to the Gentile side of the lake. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? It is time to turn back and give up on your little dream about going to the other side of the lake. How does Jesus respond? Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. This must have been a mind-blowing experience for the disciples. They are not excited about going to the other side of the lake. At least some of them, I'm convinced, now think God doesn't want them to go to the other side of the lake. It's time to turn back. And then Jesus stands up, his deep and compassionate eyes fixed on the Gentile side of the lake, and he says in a very Jesus way, stop it. And I think some of the disciples thought he was talking to him, and they're some pretty rough characters, and they're going to get this boat turned around, and this thing was about to come to blows. And then they realized Jesus was not talking to them. The wind had stopped. The rain had stopped. And in this wild image to me, they are standing in a water-filled boat on a calm sea. Jesus told the storm to stop, and it did. Who is this that we are following? Now, I grew up in church. I grew up at a great church, and I've heard this passage taught on a many a time. Sometimes the takeaway is that Jesus has authority over nature, that nature obeys Jesus. Jesus has power over creation because Jesus is not part of creation. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is God of all creation who came to earth and made himself human to redeem humanity. That's a great takeaway. Sometimes the takeaway is that Jesus is with us in the storms of our lives, and at just the right moment, when we are ready to give up, Jesus is going to calm the storm. And the only explanation will be the miraculous power of Jesus and his deep love for us. That's a great takeaway. But as I was preparing for this sermon, as I, and I looked at the overarching flow of Jesus' ministry, there's a main point to this whole storm story I had missed. And I think whatever other takeaways we get from Jesus calming the storm, the most important takeaway for the flow of Jesus' ministry is that nothing is going to keep Jesus and his followers from reaching the other side of the lake. <laughs> I had somehow missed like the primary point of the, the account. The other two are important takeaways. But nothing is going to keep Jesus and his followers from reaching the other side of the lake. Nothing is going to stop Jesus from crossing this physical boundary. Nothing is going to keep Jesus from being a boundary breaker, a boundary bridger. He's laying the foundation of his ministry. He's laying the foundation of the whole Jesus movement. And at this point, the Jesus movement has become the most diverse movement of people in human history. 
If someone looks at you and says, you know, the church is really struggling, they've admitted that they live in the United States. The church is not struggling. The church is thriving. You'll know only about 10% of Christians in the world live in North America, right? The church is not struggling. The church is thriving in places like China and in the Middle East and throughout the African continent, throughout the South American continent. It's actually starting to have some resurgence in the Eastern European bloc. Honestly, it's just Western Civ where it's not doing so hot. And that title turn because missionaries will start to come from Africa and South America and, and Central Asia. They'll start coming here. In fact, they already are. <laughs> Jesus is so deeply concerned about the Jewish people and the Jewish needs on the Jewish side of the lake, but that's not all Jesus is concerned about. He's also concerned about the Gentile people and the needs on their side of the lake. Let's go to the other side of the lake was not just some passing fancy Jesus came up with. Let's go to the other side of the lake is the core statement of Jesus' mission on earth. And the point of my sermon today is that Jesus did not travel alone. Jesus took his first disciples with him. And even today, Jesus does not travel alone. Jesus wants to take his followers with him. If you follow Jesus or if you ever come to follow Jesus, he wants you to follow him across dividing lines. He wants you to follow him across physical boundaries. He wants you to take a risk for God's sake. He wants you to take a risk in Jesus' name. Jesus invites his followers to serve the needs of people and to share the good news. The good news being that we can be eternally reconciled to God through Jesus. Jesus invites his followers to serve the needs of people and to share the good news and to do so on both sides of the lake, on both sides of the track, on both sides of the aisle, to the folks zoned to the school you're zoned to, and to the folks zoned to that horrible school I would never send my children to. Willing to go across national borders, willing to go across languages to share the good news of Jesus and to say, you are valuable in God's sight, and so I choose to serve you. In fact, if you keep reading the book of Mark, you will see that this is exactly what happens. Jesus develops followers on both sides of the lake. If you've been at church for a while, you, you may know the story about the, the demon-possessed man and the demons going to the pigs and the pigs run off. The, that's on the Gentile side of the lake. It's actually the next story right after the one I'm teaching on today. Jesus would then go on to feed 5,000 people on the Jewish side of the lake, but then later he would feed 4,000, or yeah, 5,000 on the Jewish side. Then later he would feed 4,000 people on the Gentile side of the lake. And both times he gave the food to his disciples to give to the people. I think he did that on purpose. Because you can only look into the eyes of a Gentile person so many times before you start to realize why Jesus could not take his deep and compassionate eyes off their side of the lake. Eternity with God is described this way. Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And together, this great multitude of people, this uncountable multitude of people worship God. It is a ragtag family assembled together from every nation, every ethnic group, every subculture, every political persuasion, the different colors creating a work of art, the different languages creating a symphony, and it is a family brought together by the Lamb. And the Lamb is a symbol of Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself for you, who sacrificed himself for me, who sacrificed himself for this uncountable multitude so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could worship God in the midst of our lives on earth, so that we could worship God into eternity, so that we could live different lives, better lives than we would have even imagined for ourselves. I can't tell you throughout this series how many folks uh, have, have just sort of been coming to me and saying, uh, when I look at what my life has become because of Jesus, it's not the life I would have chosen. But it's a better life than I could have imagined for myself. And I pray that's true for you. As you follow Jesus, or if in the future you come to follow Jesus, I pray there would be a moment in that life where you could look back and say, this is not the life I would have chosen for myself. As Chad said earlier, nothing went according to plan. Actually, nothing went according to my plan. But there's a greater plan at work because there's someone greater than you and me at work. Jesus is at work on all sides of the lake. Jesus is at work on all sides of every boundary, all sides of every division. Jesus did not draw the lines. Jesus does not respect the lines. Storms will not stop him. Hatred will not stop him. Apathy will not stop him. Our stubbornness will not stop him. Nothing is going to stop him. Jesus is at work on all sides of every dividing line, and he invites you and he invites me to join in. Follow me, Jesus says. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So I'd ask you to reflect on this question um, with me as I kind of wrap up my part of the service. What is the lake that Jesus has called you to cross with him? What is the lake that Jesus has called you to cross with him? Whether crossing the lake makes you excited or fearful, whether you're going to cross the lake in a group or solo, even if some of your Christian friends think you have lost your mind, every once in a while it's good to convince a few of your Christian friends you have lost your mind. What lake, what physical boundary, what dividing line has Jesus called you to cross with him? With him. With him. See, that's the important phrase right there, with him. <laughs> Not on your own strength, not on my own strength, but relying on Jesus, following Jesus every step of the way. 
And honestly, if you don't know the answer to this question this morning, that's okay. But I would encourage you, to, as your first step in all this, to begin asking God to reveal this to you. Begin asking God to help you see the world to which you've go, grown accustomed through a different set of eyes, eyes that are a little less like yours and a little more like the eyes of Jesus. And to look again at this world, to listen to what God might be stirring deep inside of you, to listen to what wisdom God might give you through a trusted Christian friend or two who, who's a little bit further along than you are. Open up the conversation with God. For some of us, that may be the first step. My last little comment would be as you think about that uh, eternity with God, it is this, it is this, as I say, ragtag family of people brought together by Jesus. There is always room for more people in this ragtag family. Is an uncountable multitude of people who have come to the place of realizing, I tried to live life my way, and it didn't work. I tried to find purpose my way, and I've hit a dead end. There has to be something more than this. And Jesus would say there is. And his invitation is, follow me. Don't try to find it on your own. Follow me. Join my uncountable multitude, ragtag family. Let's pray together. In this quiet moment, let me give you a chance to pray a chance to talk to God or a chance to listen to God about whatever it is he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. for the congregation here. I pray for myself. I pray that we would be reassured you are not just throwing us in and seeing if we can swim. You're saying, get in this boat with me and let's cross together. And we may think it's a horrible idea. And the people on the shore may think it's a horrible idea. matters most is who we're getting in this boat with.
So, Lord, I pray you would renew us as we are boundary breakers and boundary bridgers in the name of Jesus. I pray you would stir inside of us a desire to go to the other side of the lake, to serve the needs of people, to tell them the good news about Jesus. Lord, for those of us who don't have a family to call our own, for those of us who feel adrift, for those of us who have come to the end of our own ability, I pray we would respond to your invitation and say, yes, I will follow you. I will follow you on this earth. I will follow you into eternity. Make me new, Jesus. Make me the person you've always wanted me to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.